Hey listeners, this is Marcia Epstein. Talk with me from Lawrence, Kansas. And today I just want to jump into the show because I think there's so much to talk about. Lawrence, Kansas has some wonderful things about it and some things that are like, seriously, that's what some of us think? Really? Oh my God. Anyway, that's just me and something that's going on right now. One of the things that, that makes me really happy when I think about what's going on from my perspective in the world, um, which seems to be in our country permission to be more openly hateful sometimes, um, is that we've got some great art stuff going on, in particular art that really is bringing together people of color with the opportunity for all of us to experience important messaging that we might have overlooked because sometimes we don't seek out other voices from our own similar to me, white ones, um, you know, and we need to. And so we have a lot of wonderful things going on in Lawrence, Kansas. And I wanna, we'll say more about this, I'm sure as the show goes on, but there's an artist collective, Black Lawrence, and different kinds of performances that happen pretty regularly in Lawrence uh, with music and poetry and other kinds of readings. We have a mural project by women of color, of women of color, about women of color in the history and culture of this community, a mural project that's being proposed. And, and I know I'll be one of those people who'll be horrified if that doesn't happen in a big way because the only reason it wouldn't happen is because of powerful white voices saying, I don't think so. And I don't want that to happen in my community. Um, we have Raven Bookstore, which I love for so many reasons and have for so long. And as I say, the caretaker these days, Danny Kane, who's a poet, who in his mission of the Raven Bookstore really sees it as a place to elevate voices of all people, in particular, people who are people of color, people of, of gender and sexual orientation minorities, you know, different people than white academic males. And that's not to say there aren't wonderful white academic males too, but not only them, okay, folks? Anyway, that's my rant. Um, my welcome today is Anthony Boynton. <laughs> I want to welcome you and I'll just say quickly to Thank the you. listeners that, man, I found out about this person because he was the featured reader for an event at Raven called Mike Supremacy, hosted by Jamila Jones. And so I thought, I want to get to know what this guy's doing. And he sent me a couple links, and I'm like, wow, this person, wow, we need to know. So again, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you're doing all kinds of stuff. And I always ask you know, for, for my guests to say a little bit of background, and then mm -hmm. who knows where we'll go. Right, Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm Anthony Boynton. Um, I'm from Georgia. I'm born and raised in Columbus, Georgia. Um, not Atlanta. <laughs> Everyone asks, like, well, is that Atlanta? It's like, no, it's an hour There's and a half south. There's more than one city. There's more than one city. Who'd have thought? Right, right. Um, I'm an hour, an hour and a half from Atlanta. I actually don't even like Atlanta. I'm telling you why. Um, but I moved here in Lawrence two years ago. Um, after getting my master's at Georgia College and State University, um, I'm doing my PhD now at University of Kansas in English. Um, I did my BA in English at Fort Valley State University. I'm an HBCU grad, proud one. Yay. Um, 
And yeah, I'm a writer in several different ways. Uh-huh. Um, I've never called myself an artist. I don't, I just, I'm, I'm just now thinking about that as yeah. I'm listening to your um, introduction. Absolutely. Word <laughs> art is art. That's yeah. the thing. And yeah. That's been one of my messages in the art community in Lawrence because there's the cultural arts. There are all these different groups. Right. And it's like, wait a minute. When we talk about community art, mm-hmm. we need to also be talking about people creating art with words, whether right. it's poetry or other genres. And by the way, you know, we have this sculpture and this quote on even City Hall mm-hmm. that is poetry by right. Langston Hughes. Right. So that is art, too, not right. just the metal sculpture that turns. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm a writer. Um, I guess an artist in different ways. I'm a singer. I love um, uh-huh. theater. Um, been in musical theater for some time. Not here as much. It's different. It's definitely different here. Um, uh-huh. I haven't gotten a chance to really see the um, musical theater scene as much here because uh-huh. of studies. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm also a teacher. I've uh-huh. always been a teacher at heart. Um, my mom was a teacher. Um, my my dad's mom and a number of her sisters are teachers, so it just kind of happened. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's parts about me. So I want to ask a question that is kind of a mundane one, but... PhD in English versus versus degrees in fine arts. What's the how did you decide PhD in English? So for a number of reasons. I've wanted to um always be a teacher, didn't know didn't necessarily know where. Um and sometimes not even in what when I first started at Fort Valley State University, um, I was a history major. And then after like a year or so, now mind you, my mom was been teaching English at that time for like almost twenty years. <laughs> um, so I was like, well, let me let me think about some classes over there, and I saw the balance sheet. Um, some more traditional schools have like a balance sheet that you that you have to have so that you can see what classes you still have to take to graduate. Uh-huh. And I looked at the balance sheet and I read down the list and I said, I want to take each and every one of these classes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh-huh. I would teach any of these classes. So cool. that's where um, it might have been in my third or fourth semester yeah. um, because I almost played with being a sociology major. Okay. Um, and I chose English. Uh-huh. Um, so I am a literary critic by training. And I think because of my well, even before um, that kind of training, I was writing creatively anyway, but I was never um, honed or like shaped into like a creative writer. So uh-huh. now I'm so now I'm working back into being a creative writer uh-huh. while being like a literary critic and learning uh-huh. um, and learning how to write critically about literature and uh-huh. culture. Uh-huh. Um, I've thought about doing an MFA after the PhD, but my um, my partner's like, um, you already have PhD, like, why would you do that? Yeah. Um, so shout out to Jamila, who's actually um, giving me good sense. Um, <laughs> but there are also other ways of like um, defining your craft uh-huh. and of um, yeah, and of being a community and being in community with writers. Yeah. Um. So an MFA is a really great um really great deal and um has and they have really great programs across the country of course but a, a phd in english really did just happen uh-huh. um shout out to mary emma graham um also she was one of the people who was like you can do a phd uh-huh. i never like if someone had said anthony you'll be living in kansas yeah 
like five or six years ago, yeah. I would have laughed so <laughs> like so hard. Like because I was really like I was like, no, I want to stay near my family. I want to stay uh-huh. in the south. I uh-huh. might move a little bit, but uh-huh. but um, it got to a point um, when I was in my master's program. Where I was like, I'll I'll try something new. Uh-huh. Um, I'll just take the risk. It's only four or five years. Um, and I applied to um, KU and I got in. Uh-huh. So I'm now here. Yeah. Cool. And I, I will say, as even though I asked the question, there's there's a pretty cool thing about becoming doctor. Yeah. Also that. <laughs> <laughs> also that. Yeah. And I think it matters that in the same time, I'm getting my PhD. My aunt, my sister's, um, not my sister's. My, she must be talking about me. Uh-huh. That's what Southern is saying, right? Um, my mom's sister, she'll be getting her PhD in sociology this Saturday. Awesome. And my mom will be getting her doctorate in education in next year or so. Holy cow. So all three of us will be moving into um, that kind of phase in life. Yeah. 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 And and I realize in terms of teaching that that PhD opens up doors. Right. Which which the to me, the, this, there's this thing about... When it's somebody who I admire, it's like, it's not just that it creates opportunity for you to have certain positions. It creates opportunities for people to learn and be mentored by you. Yes. So the ripple yeah. effects are huge. Right. And I say that, as, as I mentioned to you before we went on air, when I was, was reading some of your essays on the medium mm-hmm. and looking at the syllabus and going, man, this is important, cool stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know, here's this African-American man writing this stuff. And people need to listen. You know, it's not mm-hmm. somebody writing about. It's you saying, "Hey, I am," and let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really try to. Um, I think writing has a really great way of presenting itself as self-discovery, and not just self-discovery, but also self-reflection. Uh-huh. Um, and then not only those two things, but then saying, "Hey, let's have a large conversation about." not just our identities, but then how our identities perhaps um, influence our politics, how they influence the ways in which we move through the world. Yes. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so I really tried to, particularly my blogging, um, I really tried to say, okay, well, he- here's where I'm at. Let's see where everyone else is at. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I think for some people, it's like, I hadn't thought about that yet. And for other people, it's like, I'm not the only one. Right. Yeah. 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 The second one in particular is so powerful in writing. I remember reading The Color Purple by Alice Walker for the first time Uh and thinking, what? Like, no, like, I'm not by myself. Like, God doesn't have to be male. Like, that, like, why? Like, so, yeah, I think that is another powerful thing. I think James James Baldwin has a quote about that. Maybe I can't remember the exact words, but that writing helps us realize that someone else thinks like us and that yeah. someone else is um, registering something, um, registering, um, registering, uh, registering something, um, something else or something that is perhaps not normative. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. 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 And that's where I love, as I mentioned at the beginning, that I think Lawrence is there are people who have gotten together and say, we need to be doing this stuff Mm -hmm. and we need people to come experience this and creating those opportunities for people to be in an audience and then have somebody at the mic 
who looks like them, who says things that, that they've experienced, but they haven't been able to talk about. Right. That's huge. Yes. That's huge. Yeah. Most yeah. definitely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So you ended up in Kansas because it had a decent PhD program that yeah. you applied, and yeah. it's the place where you ended up coming to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're yeah. teaching as part of that. So, right. what kinds of things are you teaching? So I teach um, first level um, English to mm -hmm. college mm -hmm. students, to, um, for particularly first year students, English one on one, English one hundred two. Um, so I teach, it's a mainly like writing intensive course, um, but I've taught the works of Octavia Butler, um, Alice Walker, George Orwell, um, Maya Angelou. So you get to choose the authors that, that you're having your students be exposed to being? For the most part, I think I take more liberties than other, than some okay. of my colleagues might. Um, I don't necessarily get in trouble, so I assume, okay, well, this is something I can do. So yeah. I so I take the opportunity to do That's it. Really um, yeah, especially, um, especially since I know that at KU, I'm one of, first of all, I'm one of the few faculties of color that mm -hmm. my students may see. Mm -hmm. But particularly, I know I'm also one of the few who will push the envelope on what can't be taught. Mm -hmm. um, so we talk about Trump. We talk about the violence of whiteness. We talk about race. We talk about gender. We mm -hmm. talk about feminism. Mm -hmm. um, and students write about it. And mm -hmm. and this, like, I really can't stand the idea that, oh, well, people are too young and that's too risque and the classroom should be apolitical. That's never the like. Apolitical or neutral classrooms are always political. It's like you're not saying something because you don't want to you're say silencing. something. You're silencing. Right. And then, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, was, I always take the opportunity to yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Talk about so many different things. Yeah. And part of it is inspiring, like you said, for people, for, for young students, or what not to be young, for students of color to go, hey, here is this guy who looks like me as opposed to, you know, I get taught by another well-intentioned white person. It's mm -hmm. really important. I mean, we, we know that, you know, right. we know that we need to see people like us in positive ways. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's a huge thing. And to be able to talk about things, I mean, for people to say, you know, by the time somebody gets to college, they haven't been exposed to, you know, all kinds of things. Right. It's like, seriously? We need to be able to talk openly because yeah. the bombardment of information social media and and in a school like kansas you know it's it's obviously been a while since i was there but there are people who come from places where they haven't been exposed to things yeah i always think about i had a dear friend um who grew up in ottawa kansas mm -hmm. and he would say he was certain he was the only gay person mm -hmm. because he never right. knew anybody right. saw anybody who was openly gay yeah you know and and so that that I remember, I remember. This is like horrified me. This this person in a in a training program. I was the director at Headquarters Counseling Center for a long time, mm -hmm. and we trained staff. And part of in our training, there's things to sort of challenge people to learn and talk about things. And I remember this young woman who was in a sorority. This when we were doing some stuff on um, diversity and cultural sensitivity, and she's like, well. We have colored girls in our facility. I'm like, Yikes. You know, and it's like yeah. from where she came from, uh -huh. she didn't know right. that that was not 
right. a helpful way to talk about <laughs> yeah. anybody. Yeah. I mean, she honestly, she didn't know. She didn't, she didn't, she didn't know she was saying something derogatory, disrespectful right. from this little small community that she had come from. Yeah. Holy shit, you, yeah. Wow. yeah. <laughs> but so yeah. I'm just saying, I think, I think, you know, when I say people haven't been exposed to things, actually they haven't been exposed to everything, right. but in terms of being aware and needing to be aware and university being the time to become right. aware. I mean, man. Yeah. And doing it outside the university. Right. Like, I think that's why, um, functions like um, Mike Supremacy and those that are put on by Black Lawrence and mm-hmm. even those that are put on by like singular people throughout Lawrence mm-hmm. over the last year mm-hmm. um, was really important along with the mural, mm-hmm. along with the Women of Color mural. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. So um, though the university is definitely um, influencing a lot, particularly in Lawrence, um, and perhaps even outside of Lawrence, um, though the university is um, influencing a lot of um, of that ripple effect. Of uh, that ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Why is it so hard to talk today? <laughs> um, it's good that people, even in the community, who may not be affiliated with the university, are mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, well, here's what I have to say. Here's what I have to say." Yeah. 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 We need to be talking. We need to be listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, and that's that's one of those things. We need to be listening. We need to be open to listening to people who don't just think what we think. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, how did you move to like literary review? You said it's something that's that that you do. How did that become sort of one of your means for expression related to feminism and all right. you know all kinds of like these are important social issues. Right. How did it come through literary? So I think in part it's because um, growing up with um, and being mothered by a teacher who teaches English, um, and I grew up in many ways as a reader, um, I think that has a lot to do with it. I think that um, when I read something, I have immediate, immediate critical ideas about them, about what I've read. Um, And then in other ways, even, I think the fact that I was raised in a church um, that was um, wherein a pastor very critically read the word of God even inspires a lot of what um, I have to offer in terms of criticism or in terms of review Mm -hmm. um, for literature. Um, And I think that literature provides a way for us to to understand what we think about the world and what we think about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so reading, um, reading and writing really encourages and, and not just encourages, but just, but then also informs like, okay, well then if that's going on, then what's and then, so it makes you can reconsider and consider a lot of different mm-hmm. things. Um, and then another part of it is I just love thinking about what other people think about <laughs> Yeah, and I love, and I really do love learning. Uh-huh. Like, I love teaching, but a, the major part of why I love teaching is because I love learning and I love seeing, I really do really appreciate what people think about themselves and what they, people think about, like, different ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And in, and for me, reading literature and even watching films, like, I teach films in my um, writing classes, too it makes us pay attention to what is being fed to us in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, so yeah. is a lot of your emphasis on popular culture? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly um, this past semester, mm-hmm. we we did a lot of films. Um, my students wrote about films. We watched um, Forrest Gump. Yeah, and uh, we got to talk about southernness and how he had how um, Hanks has to perform southernness throughout. Um, we watched Mulan and how gender, um, particularly in 2018, uh-huh. how our understanding of gender completely um, revises how we thought. Even in like 2000, I think the film came out in 98. When like in 2000, 2001, we were like, "Oh my gosh, this is a feminist film." And it's so, so amazing. And now it's like, so is it a feminist film? Because she has to portray a man. <laughs> like yeah. so, so I think um watching films and reading novels, reading short stories allows us to think about where we were and then where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um and provides um really great ways for us to unlearn toxic behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um so I have some plans to um, gather a group of men and masculine identifying folks so that we can read the color purple and things fall apart um, and parable of the sower and really talk about how is it that toxic masculinity shows up in these pieces? How mm-hmm. is it that patriarchy shows up in these pieces? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So do you see that as something that you would do with a university population or in the community or both? I don't know. Um, I know there are opportunities on um, on campus to do it, but I could I could definitely see it um, being more communal as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I could, I mean, just think about like doing something like that at the library as a, in some sense, a one time or maybe the, maybe part of what could become a series of you know, like a, a book club that right. was really specifically around that theme of right. African-American men, in this case, reading um, books that, or our men in general or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, where we want to take that. Yeah. It'd be really, really enlightening to create that safe space for people to really t- talk about this. Yeah. 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 And so some of, I, I can't, I hate to do this, but I can't resist. Kanye. What's yeah. <laughs> what about him? <laughs> okay, let's just leave it there. No, I mean, <laughs> we could, I'll spend I'll spend a moment on him. Yeah, he could take my class. I don't know if he will listen. You know, I don't know if he will listen at all. But he could take my class because the class would really be a like really be a benefit to him too, yes. right? So it's yes. easy to teach um someone who has taken the time to unlearn mm-hmm. um talk to behaviors and learn normative behaviors. Like it would like and that would just be perhaps then not just like a stroking of the ego, but it'd be like, okay, well we we all get it. So like we can now go home. You know, but it is it is much more difficult and it requires a lot more grace, a lot more patience to um to communicate something totally non-normative to someone who works in normativity. Mm-hmm. So for him to be cishead, black man who is also rich, mm-hmm. um, who like works through anti-blackness in several different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He he could benefit from the class if he would listen. Mm-hmm. I think listening is the other part. Mm-hmm. Um 
I wish that people would stop saying, oh, well, it's because his mom is like, no, at this point, it's 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 him. Like, yeah. grief is a very real thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but this is not just grief. What he's doing is not just grief. Right. Um, I don't really care for um, talking like diagnosing people right. um, of mental health, though I would say he perhaps could consider therapy. I don't know if he has done that or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's literally what I have to say about mm-hmm. him. Yeah. So who are some people or some films that you would say, man, these are some really great things to get people starting mm. thinking if they aren't already thinking? Right. Um, Moonlight. Moonlight is a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. Beautiful film. Um, I'm going to write a book chapter toward it within the next couple of weeks. I need to watch it again so I can um, finish writing. Um, but about a um, queer boy in the South who's trying to navigate his life. He has these attractions um, and is all consistently bullied for um, for all the reasons. Uh-huh. Um, finds a... Um, kind of surrogate father figure in one played by Mahershala Ali um, and his partner, Janelle Monae. Um, Yeah, it's just a beautiful, watch it. If you have not seen Moonlight, you have got to see it. So Moonlight is definitely on that list. Daughters of the Dust by Julie Dash. Um, It's an 80s film. I think it's 84, 1984, which is such a great year, right? Um, I love dystopian novels. That's why I'm like 1984, woo. Um, it might be 1985, but it's about um, this family of Black people, particularly Black women. There are mainly Black women in the film. Um, it's centers Black women. Um, but they have a decision. They live off the coast of, of South Carolina, Georgia, and um, the Ebo Landing, those islands um, that we don't talk enough about. Um, but they are making the decision about whether or not they will um, move from their island to um, the mainland and go north to find jobs. Um, so that's a beautiful film to talk about, not just decisions, but talk about um, talk about life and talk about like those, those like larger cultural decisions about, so I know I'm rooted in this land. I am, um, there's something ancestral about this, but I also have to take care of my family in different ways. Mm-hmm. What do I have to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are certain um, moments wherein you could talk about toxic masculinity and patriarchy. Um, there is a character in there who is dealing with the fact that his wife was raped by um, their slave master. Um, and he, like, in some parts, he's very affectionate to his wife, and in other parts, he's angry. Not necessarily at her, I don't think, but angry with the situation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Sounds powerful. And, and to think that that was made that long ago. Right. It's really. Right. It's, it is such a beautiful film. Uh-huh. You have to watch it multiple times. Mm-hmm. It Because it is, not only because of its dialect, it's um, written and performed in um, African-American vernacular English, but because there are so many different parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, those are two films that I would definitely recommend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is... Film, music, do you do you personally have a genre that you really hone in on and look at the messaging? Mm. 
I kind of I kind of do bounce around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of do bounce around. Um, right now, it's been film and television. Um, I have done music and music videos in the past. Um, I don't do those as much anymore because now the music videos sometimes don't make sense in connection with the songs. So it's like, what's going on here? But I am still interested in that mm-hmm. um, in many ways. Um, I just think that the visual arts provide um provide so much. I think in another life, I was um either a visual artist, and I've always said that like if this professor thing doesn't work out, then being a curator at a museum would be the next best the next best thing like uh-huh. that would be like I would love that because it's still teaching it's still yes um it's still engaging in in ideas and engaging in history and in culture uh-huh. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, right now it's been films and um, television shows. I don't know what it is, but it's just like this is so interesting. Um, so like, I love Supernatural. Um, Grey's Anatomy is like, like my thing. <laughs> I watch it on Friday um, because I normally have things to do um, Thursday night, and I write at night for the most part. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, Our show is Scandal. So like I do, I loved I love scandal, and I it's not that I don't love it right now. It's just that I got I got lost. I got off track within like season two or season three, and I have not had the emotional capacity to go back. Same thing with um how to get away with murder. I'm behind on that. I just I it just yeah it went over my head. Um, especially since like the way that Shonda Rhimes writes. Uh-huh. We're captivated by her characters because we know that they're intentionally made, uh-huh. right? Um, so yeah, she's just she's brilliant, yeah, and brilliant, and and not just a brilliant businesswoman either, right? I think that people pay attention to that, but it's like, no, her art is actually really good. Also, like, can we can we not be capitalist for a moment and yeah. really do pay, and like let's let's actually pay attention to the fact that this is brilliant art, yeah, um, yeah, because yeah, because anyone who can. Um, a deal with Meredith Gray for 14 years, but um, <laughs> but anyone who can create a character who has grown that much over uh-huh. that span, I mean, we've grown up with Meredith at this point, yeah, That's so true. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Bailey, like, Bailey and I, like, we're <laughs> we're right in sync, like, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Grey's Anatomy, man. Yeah. Yeah, but Supernatural captures me in a lot of different ways. I'm interested in speculative fiction. I write about speculative fiction. Um, But yeah, vampires, all the things. Like, and I didn't realize how much I really loved that until really paying attention to, like, what I've watched over my life. It's like, yeah, I really do love, like, monsters and, like, horror. <laughs> and I, I've always loved dystopian fiction. Like, yeah, all, like, always have. I forgot about that um, in the midst of some of my academics, but over the last two years, it's like, wait, I actually really do love dystopian novels. Uh-huh. Like, I love the speculative. I love magical realism. I love talking about that. Uh-huh. Um so yeah, yeah. So I've gone, I've come back to that, and um, 
especially with Afrofuturism being on the rise, which in ways I love deeply, but in other ways I'm like, Afrofuturism has been here, so what do you mean? So um, I'm, I'm torn with that in a moment, um, especially with Black Panther having so much fame and success yeah. and like and like overdue success, right? Um, but then I think what we now need to do is pay attention to what we have forgotten or what we've neglected or who we've neglected. Mm-hmm. So like Octavia Butler should be on everyone's shelves. Octavia Butler, almost a queer Black woman who throughout the um, 70s, 80s, 90s, and even early 2000s was a very successful science fiction writer. First MacArthur Genius Grant winner who was a science fiction writer. Brilliant, brilliant woman. Um, Kindred is a masterpiece. Parable of the Sower is a masterpiece. I just got done writing a um, a piece um, that I'm hoping to get published about Fledgling. It's her last published novel about vampires. Um, <laughs> about vampires. And I, did, and I did not realize that I love vampires until I was writing. <laughs> but I was writing this piece and I was making some connections because in the same year that she publishes Fledgling, which is about a queer Black woman vampire who um, has polyamorous relationships. In that same year, Twilight is published. But everyone knows Twilight, yeah. but no one even likes Twilight. Like, no, like, <laughs> like, let, like, let's also be very honest that no one actually likes <laughs> Twilight. But the 14-year-old girls, which is fine for them. Like, that's so fine. Uh-huh. You know, like, I'm here for it. Like, uh-huh. love Taylor Lautner. Like, great. <laughs> but it's like, fledgling offers, like, so many other ways for uh-huh. us to engage in vampire stories. Um, <laughs> Which, but, I'm sorry, but I try to keep out of my life. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> With, but, it's, but I guess it's so interesting to me because vampires... Um, allow us to really think about what is and is not human. And it's like, why is this non-human but almost human person attractive? Or why is it that we're engaged in this like romance story? Of course, like with Dracula and other, um, like Vampire Diaries is nothing but a romance, despite we don't really care for um, Nina um, Gobrev's um, protagonist. I can't think of her name at the moment. Um, I'm just going to throw out something and then right. I'm going to move away from vampires. Okay. For me, there is a Uh-oh. personal connection mm-hmm. that vampires bring up sexual abuse stuff for me. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like... I'm so sorry. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah. I mean, that, that the first time somebody said, oh, you have to read this book and it was a vampire. It's like, I can so not read this. Right. This is just, right. No. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's real. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's real. And but for not but but I think that that was why fledgling was good uh-huh. because it engaged sexuality in non-normative ways yeah. that wasn't abused. Yeah. 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 Normative that word mm-hmm. that jars me. Mm-hmm. And how mm-hmm. about how about you? What is what does normative mean? Right? So normative in the way that I think about it is um, I'm going to try to place this. So normative works within the confines of um, various interlocking systems of domination. 
So normative in many ways is whiteness, is patriarchal, is ableist, is classist. Um, so in many ways, right? So the thing about normativity is, is that it doesn't seem violent or it doesn't seem oppressive because it's just a thing, right? It's almost like air. But for, um, for people, for bodies, for persons who live outside of normative practices, right. it is oppressive yeah. and, it, it, and it is suffocating and it's jarring for them in ways, yeah. right? And for me, it's the word because I think, and I may be, you know, I'm just, just my reaction to it. My reaction to it is if I'm not willing to really consider what that word means, then I can think of normal white male mm -hmm. cisgender heterosexual mm -hmm. as preferred. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the word normative to me that, that that's my problem with it is the kind the what it really means in the beautiful way that you explained it. I don't know if it's clear to other people right. or. And I think that's the problem with normativity though, right? right. Is that normativity refuses to be named as yeah. normative yeah. in this kind of yeah. interesting way. So like, um, for example, when we when people were naming 45 as racist and he's saying, oh, well, I'm not racist. It's like, no racist says they're racist. <laughs> like, you know, so like no, like no one who's sexist or no one who does misogynistic things thinking, Think that they're doing a scientist thing because they don't want to see themselves as that person. Right. But it's like you're, but you are doing like you, you've called, you've called Mexicans rapists. Yeah. You apparently yesterday he like went on this rant about immigrants being animals. It's like oh those God. are racist and xenophobic things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And for me, my my generation, my learning was by virtue of having white skin, I'm mm -hmm. racist because. I have privilege whether I ask for it or not. Right. And that to me, it's it's a given. And then I was thinking, well, how do you open how do you open up people's willingness to consider that about themselves? Right. Because that's always the challenge with whatever mm -hmm. thing we're trying to say, you know, that you are being misogynist or you are being racist or you, you know, mm -hmm. you're being homophobic or you know, these things yeah. that you're doing and saying. So it's, that's a challenge. I want to, just because I'm fascinated with the conversation, but I uh -huh. also want to highlight some of your writing. So we're going to get to hear a little bit from Anthony Boynton, which I think is really important. It's one thing to talk about what he's doing and then another to hear him doing. And also when you look at the post about the show on the Talk With Me page, you'll see a link to his blog on the Medium and you'll be able to read other pieces as well. So what, what did you bring to share? Um, so this is um, a piece I wrote on the morning of May 5th. I woke up from a nightmare and I had to write about it because it was um, So this is nightmare number 12, written at 3 a.m. on May 5th, 2018. I've been alive for nearly 9,500 days and knew not the fear of my heart I learned this morning. It was so potent that it would quicken 
vampires with a spirit of Lazarus. It would dull the teeth and appetites of vampires and materialize ghosts. It would melt the swords of warriors and shut the mouths of dictators and invoke the fear of a roll of thunder. I rose from the 12th stage of deep sleep. I inhaled, half scared and awake, pulse racing, a light bulb in my hand falling from the ceiling. I look up and the fan is destroyed. The room is lit in a dim hue of midnight blue from the sky that invades through the holes of my roof. It was dark everywhere else. I get up to address the rustling in the kitchen and I run down a hallway longer than the football field. I stop to find that I am alone, but I'm not. I'm confused. I turn around to lock my door to ward off any new danger. And there were locks across the wall that led to no door. Confused, I turned around again to lock my door to ward off any new danger, and there were locks across the wall that led to no door. Locks I had to lock to ward off any new danger. There were locks across the wall that led to no door. Locks I had to lock to ward off any new danger, and my pulse was still racing, and I finally make it to the door. It's bolted shut, my heart still pounding through my chest. I circle back to my bedroom feeling more absent than I can muster words to describe. Then I actually wake up in my heart, in my throat. Wow. So what did it do for you that you wrote that? Because I can imagine it worked in different ways. Mm -hmm. It's cathartic in many ways. Um, I don't often wake up from nightmares and like, have to be awake <laughs> like sometimes i could just go back to sleep yeah. um but particularly this time and sometimes i wake up not necessarily from a nightmare but around 3 or 4 a.m and i just cannot go back to sleep um so within the last six or so months i say to myself okay well if i can write something i'm awake enough to stay awake kind of and you know clean my house or whatever my apartment <laughs> Oh, which I call my house consistently, but you know, whatever. Um, right, right. Um, so I'll write something. And in that moment I had to write something because it, because I tried going back to sleep and then it just kept whirling in my head. I can write poems for months on end in my mind. Um, I can be at gatherings at lunch and certain phrases will just, I'll start stringing, stringing them together. But then when I type them, they'll just come on out. Um, but that particular morning night, (laughs) um, it was like, no, you, you actually have to like write this, like you have got to write that. Uh Um, so yeah, so I wrote it. Um, it was cathartic and it really makes writing for me allows me to create sense of what I'm envisioning or what Uh I'm, what I'm seeing. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. For me with, with a nightmare in particular. There's that, for me, I need to, like, get it away from me. Mm-hmm. And for me, if I were to write it or if I were to focus on it, then it sort of makes it bigger. Mm-hmm. And so it's the opposite of cathartic. <laughs> yeah, 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 <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, for me, it's like I have to write it so I can. Yeah, yeah. Um, a way that one of my mentors um, said it. Um, she said, we write to forget. Uh, interesting. We write to forget so that you, you can write something so that you can just go back to it. You don't have to remember it. You don't have to keep it in your 
um, your uh-huh. frontal cortex. And that, that is true for me with certain kinds of writing. But yeah. Not for nightmares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. Right to forget. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned poetry, and we haven't talked about that. Right. So you and poetry, <laughs> tell us about that. So um, I have a long history with poetry, but I often don't call myself a poet. I don't know what I don't know what problem I have. You are an artist. You are a poet. You are a writer. You are, <laughs> yeah, Thank own you. those labels. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I've, I've consistently called myself a writer, mm-hmm. um, especially since I feel like more of an essayist sometimes mm-hmm. than a poet. Mm-hmm. But I do have a long relationship with poetry. My mom wrote poetry and would perform at church. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know if she does it as much as she should be doing it. Um, but in undergrad, um, I was a part of a collective that did poetry like every other month. Um, and I've done poetry there. Um, uh-huh. And then now here, um, particularly since my um, partner, it like she defines herself as a poet. Uh-huh. Um, I came back and I was like, well, let me dust off a few of these um right. <laughs> few of these verses. But but it is, it's very cathartic for me. Um uh-huh. and I'm always writing anyway, like it's always in my head. Uh-huh. Um if not for poetry, then for a short story, if not for that, then something academic. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah. And I study poets, um, uh-huh. Langston Hughes. He and I have a love-hate relationship. <laughs> I have to be honest. I know Laurentians are going to come for me. Um, but yeah, it's brilliant poet, of course. Like, that. there's nothing, like, whoever says something different is not paying attention. Um, but I think a part of my angst is like, okay, we give so much attention to Langston that we don't pay attention to so many of his other um, comrades and right. colleagues, like person. County Cullen, who I really enjoy okay. as a poet. So he took up too much air in the room. Yeah, <laughs> it's that. It's that with me. It's like there, there are so many other, and then I just pull as writers of his time. George Schuyler is never talked about as much as we should talk about him. Um, didn't write as much um, in many ways, but um, George Schuyler is a glorious writer. Zora Hurston wrote as much, if not more, than um, Langston Hughes, and we just now have come to a place where we talk about her as much. Yeah, and see, this is a timing issue. So if if your history of, not your history, but if you're coming to KU had happened about, say, let's say 12 years ago, I don't remember, mm. the chancellor at the University of Kansas, Chancellor Robert Hemingway, I've been told good was a mm-hmm. Zora Neale Hurston scholar. Right. Yeah. Right. And so it's it, it was that was a cool thing. He would have loved Bob. Mm-hmm. He sadly died with Parkinson's. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've been told really good things about his legacy. Yeah, yeah. he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Anyway, so you don't have to love Langston Hughes when he got <laughs> all the fame that other people didn't get. Yeah, that's what that's what I hear. That makes sense. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. I will say that with your interest in music as well as written, I think it was the last year, um, a, a former KU person, Ron McCurdy, came back and did this performance with 
this jazz and likes to get I think I heard about that. Was, that would be brilliant. Amazing. Yeah. 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 And it's it's a performance that I know he was doing in you know different times, different it was, mm -hmm. it was beautiful. I bet. Yeah. 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 I love that combination. And I don't know whether that's something that, that you have or are thinking about, but that combination of different arts together, you know, reading and music, reading and visual arts, mm -hmm. complementing reading and dance. I mean, there are all these right. combinations yeah. that like, oh man, that is that's to me really beautiful in a way that's different than a film, which obviously has music and other things going right. on. Yeah. Yeah. In the past, um the collective I can't remember if we had a name. They're going to um they're going to get me when they text me later when I send them this link. Um, but the event that we put on, it was, um, in many cases, it was just three of us. It was myself, Chelsea, and Jasmine. Jasmine was really the forerunner. Um, shout out to Jasmine. Woo! Um, who's a mentee of mine, a really brilliant poet, another brilliant poet. Um, but we, we called it the coffee house effect. Um, and there were moments where, um, Either I'll be singing, Chelsea would be doing poetry, Jasmine would be doing poetry, and we had a tap dance. One time we had a tap dancer, um, tap dance, and it was like a 15-minute long set. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And and it was just one poem, but it was but in between yeah. all the music, all his dancing, it it was it was a long set. Um yeah. so yeah, but very beautiful combinations. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um in many ways, Black Lawrence is doing that same kind of work. Um, with displaying art, having art done uh -huh. with music, with poetry, uh -huh. um, with literature, uh -huh. novel writing. So yeah, 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 that's really cool. Do you have young people from the community come into some of those events? You mm -hmm. see teenagers, middle school students, yeah. high school students. Yeah, we have a couple of um, a number of high school students actually. Um, not as much with Black Lawrence from what I can remember right now, but um, with Mike Supremacy. Um, right. The Mike Supremacy before last, so in April, if not oh, April, March. then it was definitely March. Um, yeah, like three or four young cool. young women teenager um, poets came. Uh -huh. Awesome poetry. Uh -huh. Awesome poetry. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that's really so, cool. and it's and it's reaching several generations, which I think is the other liberatory part of it. It's yeah. like we have um, some some like millennials, 20, 30 year olds who are like doing some really good work. There are some who are really young who uh -huh. are just now starting to understand themselves as writers or as poets, uh -huh. and then there are a few um, vets, I guess, who are like in their forties, fifties, sixties, who uh -huh. come, who not only show up but then even will do a poem. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Have you met Annette Billings yet? I don't know what it is, but I think you there. That name. Annette Billings is, she's a Topeka person. Mm -hmm. She's an amazing performer of her poetry, mm -hmm. exquisite poetry. And, ah, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And, and in Topeka, they have a, their reading is called Speakeasy. It's the first Wednesday of the month. And okay, cool. they've gone, they've had times when they've had a lot of, Younger poets who are mm -hmm. trying to come to that too, which is really exciting because of that. Seeing people like me doing this thing I want to do, right? I yeah, maybe I really can. right, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's exciting. Very exciting. 
So you write some poetry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you write some essays. Yeah. And you need to get back to music. Is that part of the thing? So I'm I'm in music, but not. So I don't um I don't write I don't write music. I just sing. Yeah, um, but but it means you need to be able to do that publicly again. <laughs> anyway, so I sing um. I sing at 9th Street Missionary Baptist Church, uh-huh. Baptist Street, yeah. Uh-huh. And I've sung at um, some community events. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's there. Uh-huh. That Sometimes that's there more so than the writing of poetry. So, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I write poetry. I write essays. Um, for the last two years, I've been piecing together a novel that will come together, I hope, soon. <laughs> but it's just like finding the time and then also the kind of emotional and spiritual energy to write. Yes. Um, and where are you with dissertation? So I'm in the second year of the program, and I'll be doing the dissertation within. I'll be starting a dissertation within it next year. Uh-huh. Yeah. You honed in on your topic. Yes. And you want to share that? You want to share that? Sure. Um, so I write about Black speckles of fiction. So, okay. I, so I write the intersection between um, African-American literary canon and speckles of fiction, so monsters and dystopia, magical realism. Um, but I really try to think about Afrofuturism, which is the intersection of culture, futures, and um, technoculture, um, and how that redefines a body politic for Black people. Um, particularly like in the Negro spirituals, how is it that in the Negro spirituals, they're thinking about the future and thinking about new worlds. Mm-hmm. I think about the work of Octavia Butler, um, Nala Hopkinson. I don't read Samuel Delaney as much because he's a very hard science fiction writer, but even but even in the way in which he talks about um, queerness and talks about race, is it that is building a new mm-hmm. body politic. So yeah. So will some of your writing like the novel will that be part of your dissertation? Is that they're separate? Okay. It's weird. So but to it, make time for both is huge. Right. Yeah. And like um and sometimes it's hard for me to find sometimes it's hard for me to find connections, but in other ways it's like, well, they are like within the same like a lot of the same like work in some black specs of fiction is me thinking about the future, me thinking about horror, me thinking about um, power and dystopias. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, separate. <laughs> I think later on in um, my career, they would be a little more connected. Uh-huh. Yeah, I could see that. Um, yeah. Have you completed a novel before? I have not. First? Okay. I'm not. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm in awe <laughs> that like, so I'm doing this doc program and I'm doing all these things and I'm also going to be writing this novel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and a part of it really is going forward. And another part of it is like you, you, you have these ideas. So in some way, shape or form, they have to, manifest mm-hmm. so yeah yeah just who you are yeah yeah um and there were parts of me like oh i don't that's no one's gonna read that and then it's like well try and see yeah so yeah 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 and and i think it's important i think it's really important that people get their work out and i know it's hard i mean i've, I've heard in particular that novels are hard to get published mm-hmm. in terms of poetry um being 
often smaller books and there are lots of specialized small poetry presses right. but when it comes to a novel it's a different right. thing mm -hmm. so you're you're full of all kinds of art <laughs> yeah it's very cool yeah very cool. thank you yeah i'm gonna put a little plug in here because of you mentioning all those and um Alex Williams, who you know, knows about this. Mm -hmm. I host an event on World Suicide Prevention Day, which is September mm -hmm. 10th. And there's music and storytelling and comedy and drag and what are they? Oh, poetry. Okay, poetry, cool. <laughs> comedy, music, drag. Mm -hmm. It's this cool event of bringing people together. Um, it's not about we're going to do these pieces only about suicide. It's not that. It's about what makes a difference in our lives in so many ways is connection, belonging, mm -hmm. knowing that yeah. I'm valued. Yeah. And so creating a performance space that's about that. And and my goal is always to have as much visible diversity as possible at the mic so that who's ever in the room, the, the middle school student sees the high school student go, okay, I can mm -hmm. do this, you know, yeah. all, all this so that people know that that yeah, somebody like them is doing this and they can be part right. of it, you know? And, and and I love that being able to to bring people together, especially at that time. Right. You know, it's connection connection is where it's at. And I see art as a huge, huge thing. Right. You know, I think about people I know who would say that really what saved them while they were growing up was the library. Mm -hmm. They could go to the library, they could read stuff, they could get validation for who they are, right. you know, and that they weren't getting that in other parts of their lives. Yeah. But yeah. but books and then the internet, you know, mm -hmm. depending on their generation, became ways where they could read stuff and know that that they're okay. Mm -hmm. You know, right. That people do this. There are good people who have these same traits in common with them. Yeah. That they're not seeing it. Like my friend Craig growing up thinking nobody's gay yeah he doesn't he doesn't have any role models for that mm -hmm. it's really important yeah yeah very yeah, much so. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you've got multiple gifts so so i'm interested in in if you don't mind the church part because mm -hmm. sometimes we we think of african-american churches or churches in general as holding beliefs that are more conservative than certainly what I'm hearing from you personally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So how does that work? Right. <laughs> so um, in many ways, I, um, in many ways I do identify as, um, as someone who um, is connected to a womanist theologian um, work or framework, wherein I believe that the Bible is that the Bible and that spirituality are supposed to be liberatory and are supposed to do something. Are supposed to be um, applicable. Are supposed to be um, not only related to the ways in which you move through the world, but also like you know, like it should actually speak to what oppression is and what liberation can be. Um, so yeah, sometimes, particularly in the Midwest. Um, there are spaces where it's way it's perhaps way too conservative for me um so yeah um so sometimes i'm i am like okay but that's yeah so sometimes i am like that but then in other ways um in other ways it is 
I think going to church is about being in a community of people mm-hmm. who who can find some kind of common ground because we all believe in God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and God can be so many different things in so many different ways for so many different people, yeah. Um, yeah. whether God is, um, whether God is a provider or a healer mm-hmm. or so many other different things. We we name those things, but I don't think we take the time sometimes to pay attention mm-hmm. like God as an inter- as an eternal source can be those different things. So yeah. And for me, it's it's interesting because I think about there's a recent a recent uh, I get a newsletter from an artist named Austin Kleon and he had a recent there's an article that was talking about finding people who are like-hearted not necessarily mm. like-minded and talking about you know that that sometimes we learn the most from people who we have some like core values in common with yeah. but we don't see the world in the same way and i think about in, in my own personal experience um my my older son his best friend that he met at cordley elementary school um his um daniel doolin his dad and mom are the lead of the Calvary Church of God in Christ. And and we still, you know, we we run into each other. Our, our sons are 34 at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's been a long time. Yeah. We run into each other and there's this this closeness. And and I remember being on opposite sides of an issue with Bill. Mm-hmm. And because I knew and believed in him and his integrity it didn't change our friendship we didn't agree about something that was really important to both of us um and this was related to amending the human rights ordinance to Mm. sexual orientation we were on the opposite sides of that yet i never had a problem because he was he was being genuine you know Mm -hmm. He, and yeah. it's like I wouldn't want it to be any other way. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, yeah I kind of did. I kind of yeah, of course, but, but yeah. I mean, but I mean, but I'd rather be, I'd rather you be honest and genuine yes. about what you actually feel yes. than to um than to present this. For, and, and then and also, that was, also that, yeah, yeah. because what I don't like, lesson. um, I tell people all the time, it's like, don't tell me that you are, don't tell me that you're doing A when you're actually doing like I don't know G. Like don't like don't like if you're doing A. If you say you're about A, if you say that you believe in A, if you say that you um, will fight for A, uh-huh. if you're in G land, I don't understand what's going on. Like, yeah. you, you know, yeah. perhaps bad example, but yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah. yeah. So we're at the end of an hour. That's what the little chime was. Okay. I'm like, there's so much. This is so <laughs> cool. This yeah. is so cool. So I want, I want to thank you so much for making the time. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. you're welcome. And listeners, there'll be a longer page on or post on the Facebook for Talk With Me. And one of the things that you'll find is the link to um, Anthony Boynton's work on the medium. There'll be other stuff, but just to, mm-hmm. to be aware, I'll put a, a link so people can find Black Lawrence and Mike Supremacy. Cool. People know awesome. about those things. Because we really want people to experience and be challenged to think and be welcome to connect and all those good things. Right. So thank you so much for being thank part you. of it. Thank you. And thanks to Daniel Smith for making this show something people can listen to. Imagine that. It's not just two of us. Thank you, listeners, and so long.